0: Hey there and welcome to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. My name is Megan Hotman and I am so stoked to be the host of this brand new podcast I'm kicking off in August 2018. This project has been on my heart for quite some time and uh, working with a business coach recently, we've been talking about soul purpose and those soul nudges and this one has been tapping me for a long time. So instead of continuing to ignore those nudges, I'm jumping headfirst into this project, and I really hope that you'll enjoy it. This first episode is called The Origin Story, and I'm going to explain a little bit about my intent for the podcast, as well as share my personal story before we get busy bringing in guests. My goal here is twofold. One, I want to add some value to your commute. The average American's commute these days is 30 minutes, so I'm going to do my best to keep these podcasts to 30, 35 minutes at most. The second purpose is to add some happiness to your day. I think we'd all agree that happiness is a limited commodity these days, and we can certainly obtain plenty of negativity pretty much anywhere and everywhere we look. But my goal with these podcasts is to ask people I admire really hard questions, find out what keeps them going, keeps them full of enthusiasm, keeps them fully optimized, maximized what really puts a smile on their face even when things are tough. And the goal here is to add that value to your commute and send you off with a smile on your face. So I hope that you find these podcasts beneficial and worthwhile. The sponsor of this very first Origin Story podcast is Feedback Sports, based here in Golden, Colorado, where I'm based. This company makes the world's best bike stands bike tools, and my personal favorite product is the Omnium Trainer. The website is feedbacksports.com, and if you're interested in purchasing an Omnium Trainer, use the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N, at checkout to save yourself 20%. So why do I like the Omnium? Well, it's simple. When you travel to races and you need an ability to warm up, the Omnium is the easiest and most portable trainer that there is. Back in the day, I was racing on the track and I was flying all over the world, carting my rollers around with me on the airplanes. And it was a nightmare, to say the least. The Omnium actually folds up into a bag. It weighs about 20 pounds and you can take it as a carry-on on most airlines. It'll fit right in the overhead compartment. There's no assembly required. You just pop your front wheel off and using the fork of your bike, you install the fork into the fork mount of the trainer and the rear portion of the trainer is actually two small rollers. So your rear wheel can spin on those rollers. And the really nice thing about this is that for those of you who are racing cyclocross or mountain bike, especially you can ride those knobby tires right there on the trainer. Uh, I love it also for triathlon warm-up. I take it with me to my triathlons to warm up in the morning. It's just so handy and so easy. It's not cumbersome, and it comes in a really handy little bag with handles. So it comes along quite easily with whatever your next adventure or endeavor may be. So check them out, feedbacksports.com, and use the code Hotman, H-O-T-T-M-A-N, To save yourself some money at checkout. I love the folks over at Feedback Sports and I can't say enough about these products as well as just the people behind them. With that, let's launch into the origin story. The year was 2011. I'd found bike racing in 2002 and in pretty short time frame had decided that becoming a professional female cyclist was on the top of my priority list. Interestingly enough, I discovered cycling my third year of law school, so I was a late bloomer, and not only that, I had two very time-consuming competing interests. As you might imagine, being a brand-new lawyer right out of law school, the expectation is that you're going to sign on as an associate for a law firm and probably not see the light of day for a few years. It was commonly understood that you were going to be working A minimum of 60 hours and sometimes the horror stories led you to believe that it would be 100 hours or more with perhaps a Sunday afternoon off each week. And I heard stories of sleeping on mattresses in offices uh, fairly often in law school. The prospect of that combined with this new passion for cycling uh, was really overwhelming to me because I couldn't imagine setting aside this passion for cycling so soon after discovering it But the timing was what it was. So as the end of my third year of law school approached, I really saw that I had only one choice, which would allow me to pursue cycling and see where it took me. And that was to work for the government, uh, which would mean a 40-hour work week. And I applied to be a judicial law clerk. And I received the job offer from a judge in Kansas City, Missouri, This was a very competitive position and I was over the moon to be selected. And so I moved from Nebraska where I was from and where I'd attended law school to Kansas City, Missouri and I began this two-year clerkship with Judge Peggy Stevens McGraw in downtown Kansas City. And I was living in Mission, Kansas which was on the Kansas side of Kansas City. And I quickly realized that to allow myself enough time to train, and be able to race on the weekends, I needed to commute to work. So I rode from the Kansas City, Kansas side down into Casey Mo. And when I look back on those days of commuting, I'm actually pretty impressed with myself because that commute was hairy, to say the least. It took me right through the plaza and right up Main Street in the bus lane to get into the heart of Kansas City, Missouri, where I worked and Not a day would go by that I would roll my bike up to the courthouse and someone would invariably say to me, hey, you know, is your car broken? (laughs) And I'd say, no, my car's fine. I, I chose to ride my bike today. There were no showers in the courthouse. So I actually got dressed most days up in the jury deliberation room and quickly learned that Carrying a washcloth and some tea tree oil was the best way for me to clean up for a day's work. As you probably know, Kansas City is very humid, and most of my commutes were pretty hot and sweaty, but I was not deterred by this because this sport had absolutely grabbed hold of my heart. So fast forward, 2011, after years of racing, enjoying some success, my dream was realized and I was racing for an elite level women's team called primal map my ride. And we were out at the cascade cycling classic early, um, I'm sorry, late July. And we had raced the prologue the night before. And then we were starting our first of six real stages for the stage race. And it was up at the ski resort there near bend. And we were about five miles into this road race And there were a whole bunch of things that contributed to this, but the short version of it is that on a downhill at a fairly significant speed, the woman to my left steered straight into me and we went down quite badly. As I lay in the road, the gentleman who was providing some host housing for my teammates and I happened to be in our team car and he had a camera. And he hopped out and he took a picture of me there on the road being assessed. And that's the picture that I've shown on my website for this podcast episode. That was a very pivotal moment in my life. And I think you can see that in the photo. I had just been informed that my collarbone was broken. My race was done. My day was done. And as you can see in the other photo, The ambulance arrived and I was taken by ambulance ride about an hour and a half from the ski resort down to the hospital in Bend. And meanwhile, my teammates were still racing on the road and the team director was still following them in the team car. And for that period of time, I was completely on my own. I felt very vulnerable being strapped to a backboard with a very claustrophobic feeling neck brace around my neck and um, being in pretty significant pain. And I just remember thinking that all those years of chasing that dream had culminated in this moment. And and I sensed that this was perhaps the end of that dream. I got to the hospital and was told that I had broken my collarbone in six or seven different places. And I had broken some ribs and they were worried about the potential of a collapsed lung and need for emergency chest tube so they kept me in the hospital overnight and at the end of the stage my teammates came by and saw me and our team director came by and saw me and then um, you know as as it typically would be they all kind of went about the business of getting back to um, race things and taking care of themselves that evening and I spent that night in the hospital in the telemetry floor and I remember thinking um, god how does anybody sleep in here for one thing (laughs) The machinery on that floor was making constant noise. It sounded like an arcade, and I thought to myself, how horrible that no one here can get any sleep. But it also gave me some time to reflect on the nine years prior to this moment that I had spent chasing this dream and what this injury could mean for me. Um, The winter before, I had gotten quite serious about track racing, and I was pursuing with all my heart, soul, and financial capabilities, a spot on the Olympic long team for the 2012 London Olympics. And it was a long shot at best. You, it's a, definitely a pipe dream. Despite that, my main objective was to do everything I possibly could to go as far as I could in the process so that I would never look back on that time with regret. And to facilitate that, I had started my own law firm, that March of 2010. It was a couple months before my 30th birthday, so at the age of 29, I started my law practice uh, despite everyone's advice to the contrary, and I um, was scared out of my mind, but having made it onto this team, it felt, at least then, that that decision had been worthwhile. So I was released from the hospital. I spent a couple days in Bend, my collarbone and ribs, it was a mess. I was covered in road rash, my whole left side. I remember trying to wash my hair and just struggling with day-to-day basics. Um, I rested up and basically got myself to a place where I felt that I could make the drive back to Denver. I had driven the team car out to Bend for this bike race, and I felt committed to getting the car back to Denver and there were people that offered to fly out and drive back with me. Of course, my parents and um, te- the team director made some, some um, offers. But for some reason, I just really wanted to be alone, and I felt responsible for the car. So I drove the car back from Bend to Denver. It took me a couple days. And I can honestly say that's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life because I was in so much pain, and every time I'd stop to get gas the overnight that I spent somewhere in Idaho, it was pretty much all I could do to get myself home. And when I got back, I had surgery and had my collarbone plated and had some screws and literally got on the bike the next day. I did a 50-mile bike ride the day after surgery because as I saw it, my chances for trying to qualify for the Olympic long team I had about two months to get myself sorted for track nationals, which were that September. And so I was back on the bike immediately trying to regain the fitness that I had lost in those eight days and to try and even gain more fitness that I knew was going to be necessary to fulfill this dream of mine. In fact, my mom came out for the month from Kansas and she had purchased a scooter and learned how to drive the scooter. And so we spent the month of August 2011 motor pacing. And I felt very good about the fitness that I had recovered and gained in that month. So the crash was on July 20th or 21st. My surgery was on July 28th. And I remember on August 28th, uh, we'd been training really hard for a month. And I'd been doing ice baths and recovery boots and juicing beats and following my coach's training plan and putting in 25-hour training weeks and truly doing everything I possibly could I had ended a difficult training week with the um, decision to go over to Lookout Mountain and ride the Lookout Mountain hill climb. It was in conjunction with the US Pro Cycling Challenge that was coming through Colorado and it was for amateurs and I thought how better to finish a hard training week than to add a race at the end because you'll never train as hard as you race and it was perfect. It was right here in Golden. So my mom is ahead of me on the scooter and we're on a road here in Golden called Pine Ridge Road. It's ironically near where my office now is and it's a downhill and uh, she's ahead of me a ways on the road and I'm going downhill um, thinking really nothing at all other than just being excited to see how fast I could go ripping up Lookout Mountain that morning. And very unexpectedly, my front tire blew out and I went down badly And the interesting thing was just that morning, I had finally pulled off the last of the band-aids for the road rash that I'd been nursing from the Bend crash. And in this crash, I landed on that left side all over again, uh, ripped off all that brand new skin, and landed right on that collarbone that we had just repaired. And I remember laying in the road and looking up at the sky and saying, all right. I get it. Um, This was the third in a series of pretty bad crashes that summer. I haven't mentioned the first one. It really wasn't relevant. But there were three pretty significant crashes that happened that summer. And quite honestly, everything just felt harder than it needed to. It felt like I was swimming against the current most of the time. Anytime I was trying to accomplish my cycling goals and I laid there in the road having overcome the incident in Bend and then this had happened and I hadn't changed tires I hadn't changed tubes we hadn't hit any potholes I didn't have any pinch flats there was absolutely no reason for this to have happened there was nothing in the road and I remember my mom just looking at me you know panicked and mortified and um and being in a position where we couldn't even get me home because my bike was all messed up. And so a stranger actually stopped and gave me a ride home. And uh, that was the day that I officially mourned the death of that dream that I had chased for those nearly that decade. And just fully acknowledged and appreciated that I was not swimming in my channel. And I don't know that anyone ever tells you what it feels like to mourn the death of a dream. It caught me by surprise how incredibly difficult it was because it was something that I had lived with and pursued all day, every day. At that point, essentially full-time for the two years prior, but really since I began bike racing in 2002. And it was really hard. It was really, really hard. It was something I had always so desperately wanted The interesting thing was I felt the universe calling me back to this new fledgling law practice that I had started. And really within 24 hours, I essentially hung up my racing shoes and pivoted my my focus to my practice. And it flourished. It absolutely almost overnight took off. And the success that I began to experience early on far exceeded any expectations that I'd ever had. And more so when a client would hire me, uh, and for those of you who don't know about my law practice, I exclusively represent injured bicyclists. Um, When clients would hire me and tell me about their crash and being hit by a car and how scary it was to be in an ambulance and how scary it was to be in the emergency room and be at the discretion of the medical providers and feel powerless and feel alone and feel in pain, Because of this experience, I had unique insight and understanding for their experience, and it gave me not just credibility with the client, but an absolute connection with them and their experience. And so I began to see that the universe really did have a plan for me, and that that whole sequence of events had occurred for a very specific reason. So fast forward, um, the practice, as I said, started in 2010. Really took off in 2011, 2012. Um, I my primary focus was the law practice. I was still racing a little bit on the side. I switched from road into more gravel. Started dabbling in triathlon to help me through some um, personal um, personal life um, difficulties in 2015 tried out my first Ironman, found an incredible amount of enjoyment and satisfaction in that training and race experience, went on to race the Ironman again in 2016, started to have really great success with the triathlon training. And I thought, gosh, my practice is in a really great place. I'm physically fit. I'm taking care of myself. This triathlon thing is really interesting to me. There's a lot less risk of crashing. Wouldn't it be cool to become an elite or professional triathlete. And of course, I'm kind of past the age range where that would be a normal aspiration. But again, I wanted to at least see how far I could take it with this thought being, I don't want to have regrets. So after the 2016 Ironman went so well, I really started to focus on it. And I came into early 2017 the fittest and fastest running, cycling, swimming I've ever been. And I was so excited about the 2017 season. I picked out races that I thought I could um, fulfill the qualifying rules for getting your elite USA triathlon pro license, basically. And in the spring of 2017, I was on a charity ride with um, a group that I care deeply about. We were raising money for Um, childhood poverty and hunger. And it was a pretty high profile charity ride. And we were out in New York state and it was day three of a four day ride. There's only 20 of us. We're very dialed, very uh, skilled group. And it was about mile 90 of 120 for the day. And I had drifted to the back just to chat with some folks that I hadn't talked with much that day and we kind of came around a bend in the road and we were on a slight sort of undulating road um, doing a pretty good clip, I'd say 20, 22 miles an hour. And someone in front of me rode over a stick. We were in a heavily wooded area and very innocuous, insignificant, insignificant detail to ride over a stick. We all do it all the time. The interesting thing about it, though, was the way they rode over that stick, it was shaped kind of like a track baton, and it left their rear wheel in such a way that it went right under my front wheel, and I was down in a heartbeat. It was like I had ridden ridden my road bike over a wet root, is how someone described it. I was down, and the two guys behind me had no time to react, so they landed on me. And I lay there in the road thinking I was in real trouble. I had pretty immediate significant back pain. I didn't know it at the time, but I later learned my bike was broken in eight places, including even the saddle and had hit my head quite hard. Um, Once again, had fallen to my left side And was dealing with road rash and things on the left side. And it took me quite a a while before I developed the courage to try and stand up. And when I did, I knew that something was wrong in my back. Um, But overall, I felt okay. And so I got in the car and went back to the hotel and stood in the shower, just devastated that I had hung up racing to be safe. And then something like this had happened on what should have been an uneventful ride and that it was no one's fault. It was just a pure fluke. And I once again was confronted with this reality that the universe, it felt, did really not want me to be focusing my attention on competition in the athletic realm at the higher levels. I remember standing in the shower and scraping out my road rash and just crying. And I had several big things coming up, one of which was the first women's single speed category at Dirty Kanza and I was going to be missing that because it was about a week later and just being in pain and again feeling pretty alone and pretty far from home um, got myself back to Denver um, actually ended up riding the next day 90 miles into the heart of Manhattan on a borrowed bike in hindsight that wasn't smart I didn't realize at the time how badly injured I was I got myself back home and after the pain, did not resolve, ended up getting an MRI and found out I had fractured my sacrum, which is the backside of your pelvis, and that I'd also sustained a labral tear in my hip. And not only that, I had really done a number on my head. And because I had not sought medical attention right away, the concussion had gone undiagnosed and I had done what we cyclists do best, which is pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get back to business. So... Because I tried to push so hard right away, I suffered the effects of that head injury much longer than I needed to have had I just given myself some rest. Um, At the time, my assistant at the office had left, and I was running my practice without backup. And this was the time in my life when I truly came to realize that there was no cavalry coming. And I don't mean that to sound dramatic or, or... depressed. It was just more that as an adult, you reach a point where you realize that you are responsible for yourself. And it was actually a moment that made me quite bold and quite strong. There was no one coming to save me. This was going to be up to me to get myself sorted. And once again, in a very unique twist of fate, I have since helped clients who have experienced those very same injuries. In fact, I'm helping a woman right now with a fractured sacrum. And we've actually shared some tears and and commiserated with one another about how excruciatingly painful that injury is and how there's nothing you can do but give it time. And so once again, the universe blessed me with the opportunity to share that experience with the people that I'm serving and to be even a better advocate for them, given that background. I share all this as my origin story because, as many of you know, I try to live a life of maximum enthusiasm. People describe me as energetic, electric. Uh, People tell me that I add sunshine to the room. I've been told by numerous people that they're attracted to my energy. You can call it what you want. The point is, for me, I try to make the best of every damn day and focus on the positive. There is plenty of negative to go around, and I think it's easy and comfortable to slide into that, into that ritual, into that routine. And I'm working really, really hard on making each day a perfect day, which means that I'm trying to respond well to the situations I'm confronted with. I'm trying to breathe I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to listen. I'm working really hard not to let angry or negative people impact me or affect me or wind me up. And in fact, I have absolutely adopted the kill them with kindness. The lower they go, the higher we rise mentality. And it's not easy. And I certainly fall into old habits, but I'm working on it. And every night when I go to bed, my goal is that when I look back through my day I ask myself, did I add value? Did I make someone's day better? Did I make someone smile? Did I respond to that opposing counsel's barbs and nasty emails in a positive way or did I let them bring me down? And if I fall short of my perfect day, I make conscious decisions to change it next time those situations come across my desk. And I can say that, yes, I'm a work in progress, but my goal is to make each day the best day possible and with maximum enthusiasm. And it is a practice and it is an intentional practice. And if you take your eye off the ball for even a minute, it's really, really easy to slip back into those bad behaviors of negativity and woe is me and the grass is greener over there and that person's life is perfect. And Why do I have all these struggles and so on and so on. We all have those monkey mind thoughts. And so here's the purpose of the podcast. Well, selfishly motivated. I want to talk to people that I admire and learn how they bring maximum enthusiasm to their day and to their life. I want to talk to them about the hard things that they've been through and how they have redirected those experiences for a better world and for the perfect day. And I just want to talk to them more about how they add value in their day to the world that they live in and to the people around them. So that's why I'm hoping that within your commute, you will learn something from these guests whether it be a health and wellness tip or whether it be hearing from uh, one of my first guests who's a SWAT commander, um, seeing some of the worst in humanity, and yet I've never ever met him with a frown on his face or heard him say something negative. He's one of the most positive, engaging, inspiring people I've ever met. Um, You're gonna hear from people like him and they're gonna be names that you've never heard of and they're gonna be people that you have heard of and know of. Um, we're going to pursue this relentlessly and I'm really excited and I hope that you are too. And so I thank you so much for coming along on this journey. Have a blessed day and go forth with maximum enthusiasm.